friend of mine uh, here in our church. Uh, she, she works in one of the essential services, and uh, she's a dental hygienist. And uh, uh, got to go back to work, of course, when uh, essential services in this first reopening phase were allowed to go back to work. <clears throat> I don't know if you see how she's dressed there, but I don't know about you, I don't want to wear all that garb preaching, okay? She's got a shield on her face there, and uh, she's got, uh, thank you, Chad, uh, she, she's got all kinds of protective garb on so that she can protect those uh, that she is uh, working with and so that she can be protected from those uh, she is working with. And uh, I just can't see me wearing that. And I can't see asking our ushers uh, or maybe our nursery, maybe our nursery readers would like to wear that. I don't know, but I can't imagine wearing all that protective garb. And the point I'm trying to make, I'm trying to be a little facetious, but at the same time, trying to help us understand as a church that even if uh, we're allowed to uh, reopen, there's going to be changes and there's going to be restrictions in regard to what we can do. Uh, it's not going to be uh, business as usual, so to speak. Uh, the CDC has still placed a lot of restrictions on all of us. I was in a restaurant this last Friday morning and they had put up you know, a protective plastic shield uh, around the, their different booths so they could isolate um, the, the potential for affection, affection, well, maybe that, but infection. Uh, <laughs> and as a result, you know, it, it kind of felt weird in, in, in the restaurant that each booth was, can you imagine our church? You know, we've got these protective booths now in our rows and we can set six of a family here between these shields and then we have to leave a space and then we have protective shields over here where, you know, just a couple can sit and then we have protective shields. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not super interested in that. Um, the CDC wants us as churches to consider wearing masks when we reopen and um, you know, I just don't know if our worship team is going to look good with masks on. I don't know if we'll be able to hear their voices. They'd like us to dismiss uh, the idea of having choirs. In other words, eliminate choirs uh, because of the potential with singing for uh, more, more exposure to virus. And, uh, you know, the problem with that is if we eliminate a choir, we're all eliminated because we are the choir. <laughs> we're a choir of 400 people in a room that's designed for 500. And I, I know all of us who've been to Home Depot or Walmart or Costco over in Medford, some of us have had to stand in line, wait our turn to go in. Once we get there, there's, there's taped lines or little squares painted on the floor in regard to where we can stand. Can you imagine us having a line and a little square where you can stand to receive your bulletin as you walk in uh, to the sanctuary on Sunday morning? I realize you don't think that's possible, and in my mind it's not possible, and Hopefully not necessary, but at the same time, uh, life has changed a little bit here in the United States. Things are different. We're still guidelines, and there, there are still restrictions. And I think it's, it's really important for all of us to maintain a certain amount of respect and uh, love, kindness toward one another as we work toward this. You may feel completely safe, but the person you see on Sunday morning may not feel safe at all. There are people that will walk into our church on a Sunday morning. We don't know where they're from. They're from different states. We, we had someone last Sunday morning come bang on the front of the church and 
and ask if we are open. And we said, no, I'm sorry, our services are simply online. And she literally demanded that we open up our church. She thought it was preposterous. Churches in California were open. Our church should be open. And, uh, it, it was embarrassing, uh, the disrespect that she was communicating uh, to, to volunteers here in our church that had told her that, our services weren't open to other people. And I realize you wouldn't do that, but there are people like that in our society. And so when you open up to the public, you open up to the public. And we don't always know what we're, we're going to get, and we don't always know how we're going to be able to keep you safe. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for us to have a nursery. How do we have 25 children in a small room with four adults and practice social distancing? It's just very difficult. How do we have 33 children in a classroom that's, you know, at maximum capacity at that point, and yet um, maintain social distancing criteria. And so m my point is, I'm excited about the president uh, urging governors to allow churches to be considered as essential services and hopefully giving us the green light to open sooner rather than later. But at the same time, you've you got to process that, and we have to process that together. As, as your church, uh, together with a leadership team, I've got uh, criteria and guidelines from our denomination. I've got concerns uh, from staff members, from volunteers who uh, allow it to all work and, and, and make it all run. run and, and in light of all those things, we have to make a decision about reopening. And my goal is to work toward doing it as soon as possible. And our plan is probably to open up out in the amphitheater. I'd love to be out there this summer, and uh, I think it's a real safe place for a larger crowd to be able to gather. We're still going to have to practice social distancing and some of those things. Our children's ministry will probably not open for a couple of months. Uh, there's going to be need to be a, a season for us to process that, and we probably won't reopen our children's ministry till we move back into the building in the fall. But uh, how that works for you, I, I'm not sure, but I'm asking you to be patient. I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to love one another and allow us to work through this in a spirit of unity. Uh, being led by the Holy Spirit uh, without creating a lot of division uh, based on personal preference or people's opinion, I just think it's real important for us. If we're led by the Spirit, it will result in the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And if we see the evidence of those things in our own personal life and in the life of our church and in our community, then we will be able to look back and say we were truly led by God. And so I just want to invite you to consider that as we consider reopening. And I want to ask you to take the hand of a person next to you so that maybe we could just say a prayer as we work toward this and work toward reopening and gathering together as a congregation as soon as possible. So, Jesus, in your strong name, we want to thank you for your love for us. Lord, I want to thank you for a, a nation that in its foundation and inception is, an, is a nation under God. And Lord, as individuals, uh, we thank you for that freedom and that liberty. But Lord, with freedom comes responsibility. And I ask you to respect, to help us respect Lord, uh, authorities, uh, the abundance of counsel, there's wisdom. Help us move in a spirit and an attitude of respect for one another and those who are trying to serve us in leadership positions in the health community or even in the government. 
We thank you for that. We thank you for one another. We thank you for the body of Christ and the wonderful gift it is to all of us, Lord. We look forward to being together and enjoying that blessing. And in the meantime, Lord, help us be the church. Help us be your hands extended. Help us keep reaching out, keep loving, keep serving one another. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name. And wherever you're at, would you say amen with me? All right, sorry I took up a little more time with that than I expected, uh, but I want to dive into the Word with you this morning, see so if you've got a Bible close by, why don't you grab it? We've been in a series for about five weeks now uh, talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And my goal, I'm going to be a little honest here, my goal, I love talking about the Holy Spirit and thinking about my relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I thought, uh, what one thing would, I'd love, would I love to do more, more than during a time of quarantine than think about my relationship with the Holy Spirit and try to grow in my relationship with him, try to learn how to recognize his voice, try to recognize his presence in my life. And so that, that's one of the motivations I've been hoping uh, for all of us as we've gone through this series. Uh, I've been hoping that all of us could benefit from that as we're uh, studying about the person of the Holy Spirit uh, these last five weeks. The title of this series has been Quenching the Thirst in My Soul. And I think it's important to think about why Jesus came, why he died on the cross. It just wasn't to, to pay the penalty for our sins. Uh, John the Baptist said there's one who's coming uh, greater than I, uh, the sandal of whose uh, I'm worthy to untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' whole goal was not only to pay the penalty for our sin, but was so that we could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about that for a minute as we get started. Think about the image of being baptized. What is it like to be immersed in the Holy Spirit? Jesus tried to describe it to a woman at a well in Samaria and again to uh, Jewish leaders in John chapter 7. Uh, if any man thirsts, let him come to me. He said to the woman at the well, uh, that out of your innermost being would, would flow rivers of living water, that you'd, you'd never be thirsty again. Imagine what it's like to literally be saturated in your soul with the Holy Spirit. And think about him as the Holy Spirit. What does holy mean to you? Uh, for me, it's, it's set apart. It's, I, I like to use the definition other I like the idea that God's not like the world I live in, that he's in many ways far different than I am. And so when I think about being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, I think about being other, being set apart, being totally immersed 
uh, w- with the life of God, with, with the Spirit of God. And, and so as we've worked through this series, I've been hoping that you'd be pressing into that kind of relationship with the Lord. Now last week in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we began talking about the gifts of the Spirit. The spirit. And, and this morning, uh, I want to talk about one of those gifts that frankly has created a lot of controversy in the body of Christ and maybe a lot of confusion uh, for you. It, it's a gift that has been ignored by some and I think underrated by others in regard to its benefits and its blessings. It's the gift of tongues. And so I'm going to invite you in your Bible to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse uh, 1 through 5 uh, this morning. And as you're going there, I'm going to uh, ask you to allow me to try to give you a definition of, of the gift of tongues. So the gift of tongues is basically a form of prayer or praise. Some of you remember on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, uh, the people who heard uh, heard the uh, apostles speaking in their own dialect, in their own distinct language, uh, they, they said they're declaring the marvelous works of God in our own dialect. And so uh, the gift of tongues is basically a form of prayer or praise that you express to God in a language that you don't understand with your natural mind. Sometimes it can be translated as a sign to unbelievers. We'll talk about that a little bit later here in this message. But in most cases, uh, we won't understand the translation. The Apostle Paul uh, will read these verses in a moment. In 1 Corinthians 14, he used the word mysteries. That the person speaking in that tongue is, is speaking mysteries uh, uh, to God. And, and so uh, this particular gift of the Spirit literally transcends our intellect. We don't understand it, but God does. And it's a powerful tool of prayer and intercession. And, and I really believe communion and intimacy with God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about different levels of relationship. We talked about physical attraction as one level of relationship. We talked about our soul as a level of communication and relationship, truly getting to know someone's heart. But there's a deeper level of relationship with, than that. There's a spiritual level of relationship that sometimes we don't understand with our intellect, but we sense in our spirit. It's underneath our soul. It's deeper than our emotions. And that's the level of relationship that God desires to have with us. He wants to know us literally in our spirit. And from our spirit, the Holy Spirit then can pray through our life Uh, in in regard to things that we're facing or other people are facing and literally uh, uttering mysteries to God. Now, I've been asked this question and maybe you've thought of it. Why would God want to do that? (laughs) Is that a little bit of a a, a strange question? I mean, uh, why would God want to do that? That makes no sense to me. And I... I think there are times where I've wondered about that myself. Can I ask you another question? Why does God want me to pray? I mean, if he knows my thoughts before I think them, if he knows my words before I say them, if he even knows my needs before I ask. Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in between John chapter 5 and John chapter 7, he was talking about being anxious for nothing. And, 
he said, for your heavenly father knows what you need even before you ask. So, so why doesn't he even have me pray? Well, the answer to that is because God wants a relationship with you. I don't know if your spouse ever feels like you never communicate, but uh, I know there are times in every relationship where you wish there was more communication. And even though you assumed they knew and uh, she assumed you knew, uh, there's something about that communication. God wants a relationship. And I think sometimes we forget the value that God places on human beings. I mean, when God created the heavens and the earth, he gave man dominion over the earth. He literally wanted mankind to rule over all that he created. That was his vision for us. He created us in his image and in a reflection of who he was, he wanted us to rule over the earth. Of course, we know that was lost uh, when sin ended the world, but I don't think we understand how far we've fallen. I don't think we understand how deeply we've lost the image of God uh, in different ways in our, in our life. And, and so I think all of us know that there's a day when Jesus is going to re return and, and the earth is going to be restored to its original glory, maybe even greater glory than it was when it was first created. But in the meantime, God is working through our lives to establish his kingdom on earth through the power of prayer. He's working through our prayers. Jesus said, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's something about our prayers that are contending for God's will to be accomplished on the earth that literally is invading the impossible circumstances we face in our life. God wants to work his will on earth in this season of time between when Jesus came and when he will come again. He wants to work his will on earth through our prayers. And the gift of tongues is a special ability uh, given by the Holy Spirit to help us pray and to help us intercede while we're here on earth uh, waiting for him to return. And I really believe it gives us a deeper intimacy with God than we had before because now from our spirit, we're partnering with the Holy Spirit to draw close in an intimacy we didn't have before. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I have an intimacy with my wife that's different than every other relationship that I will ever have. I've been married for 40 years with her and there's just something about the deep knowing of one another that is really special. And, and that will be unique to the two of us the rest of our life. And, and, and can I tell you that God desires an intimacy with us far deeper than we've ever thought or imagined. And so that's really why I think God gave us a special gift. That's why I think when the Holy Spirit was poured out, one of the first things we see is this special gift of intimacy, of, of prayer and, and praise to God. And throughout the book of Acts, when people were filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again, not in all situations, but in many of them, when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, you found them praying uh, in the gift of tongues. And I, I think, what a, special, what a special way to commune with God. You know, the Apostle Paul urged us to pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Have you ever tried? I run out of words in about five minutes. 
I, I, I get up in the morning, I got my little prayer list, and you know, I'm done in about five minutes. I don't know about you, but there's something about the gift of tongues. When I've run out of English, I can start praying with my spirit, and I can lean into God, and I can hunger for his presence, and I can pray with my spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as he's praying through me, sometimes begins to inspire me with things on his heart to be able to begin to intercede in English then. I, I pray in the Spirit, then I pray with my understanding, and I begin to be led by the Spirit in a deep, intimate time of intercession and, and prayer f- before God. So I, I believe this is a special gift, and I think it was in Paul's mind and heart when he said, pray without ceasing. Uh, he, he, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 said, pray, pray in the Spirit at all times on all occasions. How do you do that? Well, I, I can pray in my prayer language while I'm driving down the street. I just... Now, that might sound by, like babbling to you and not like a language, but it, it, it's a language the Holy Spirit. It's a language he gave me and enabled me to, to speak. And uh, so I can pray... In the spirit at all times, on all occasions, even when I'm driving down the road, I might be headed fishing or I might be headed into the office to, to, to meet with someone. Sometimes people call me and ask me to pray or people send emails to the church and ask me to pray and, and, and there are just a, a few details to this circle. I don't know how to pray. How do I pray? I don't know what the spirit does. What a special gift that I could pray with my spirit agreeing with God which allows God who's delegated authority to man because I'm willing to agree with him and pray and partner it releases the Holy Spirit then to pray through me for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and as God works through my life I believe that God through the power of the Holy Spirit is accomplishing things on earth as it is in heaven. I believe he's working in circumstances beyond my understanding because he knows all things. And, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that. So in this message, I'm trying to do a couple of things. I'm trying to whet your appetite for the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues. I'm going to take a look at some things that the Apostle Paul says about the gift of tongues um, in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, We're going to look at four ways uh, that the gift of tongues is used in the New Testament to accomplish God's purpose. And and then we're going to close with some practical things that I hope will help you, maybe help you overcome some doubts or some hurdles that you've had in regard to receiving what I'll refer to as a prayer language uh, uh, for for your life. So let me begin reading in 1 Corinthians 14, verse uh, 1 through 5. It says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. 
the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. He's talking about the value in the public service. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets uh, so that the church may be edified. I don't know how familiar you are with the culture or the history of the church in Corinth, but, but they were a people who were passionate about spiritual gifts, especially the gift of tongues. And I, to be honest, I, I really don't know why. Uh, Corinth was located very close to Athens, and many of you are familiar with Athens as kind of a, a, a center of philosophy, uh, religious ideas. Some of us are familiar with Greek mythology, and we know that all these different ideas of different gods, it was a culture that was very pantheistic. They had a lot of different gods. And so they actually had a coliseum built for de debate and discussion in Athens. It's called the Areopagus. And they would invite uh, uh, different uh, intelligent, uh, educated speakers to come uh, to talk on different ideas and subjects uh, that sometimes we're wrestling with the the meaning of life or the understanding of our purposes as human beings. And when the Apostle Paul went to Athens, someone heard him talk about the gospel and the person of Jesus. They invited him to come and speak in the Areopagus. So he had a chance to preach the gospel to thousands there on that day uh, when, when he spoke. That's recorded, by the way, in Acts 17, if you're interested at all. Now, the church in Corinth was located very close to that. And because of that, it was highly influenced by uh, the culture in, in Athens. And so what's interesting is when the gospel came to Corinth, the Apostle Paul had been in Athens, not much happened there, it was a little discouraging. And he makes a statement in, in his letter to the church in Corinth, I didn't come with you to you with, with eloquent words of wisdom, but I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he came to Corinth, it was powerful. I mean, the Holy Spirit was poured out. There were a lot of miracles, a lot of healings. People got saved. They experienced the life that God intended. How many know Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Everybody's seeking in this life. And yet Jesus is the answer. <laughs> he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when you come to know him, you found the life. I mean, and and it's, it's real. And when the power of the Holy Spirit came uh, in Corinth, they began to experience real life for the first time. It wasn't just head knowledge. It just wasn't superficial ideas. It didn't just have to do with education. It was real, and it was powerful, and, and people were being touched, and they were excited about it. I was so excited that you know, people sometimes were literally outbursts of tongues in the midst of the church services and the guy trying to preach or prophesy or speak the message and frankly they were a little bit, a little bit out of order. Uh, it was a little bit uh, confusing. And, and I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people are a little bit nervous about the gifts of the Holy Spirit because they don't want to be that guy. And, and I don't blame you, you know. I'm up here talking about it, praying in tongues in front of you, and I don't want to be that guy. You know, uh, I love it when someone gets saved or someone gets filled with the Holy Spirit and they're on fire. Have you been around anyone like that recently? They're on fire. I, you know, it's kind of like you want to tone them down a little bit, you know, <laughs> put a little water on them, you know, help them, you know, be, let's get real here. Well, you know, as a pastor, 
I'd rather try to lead someone who's on fire than raise the dead. And, and I think sometimes, you know, in church, I, I, when I'm preaching, I feel like I'm trying to raise the dead. I, I feel like we've got God so boxed into where I feel comfortable. I mean, it's not just about my theology anymore. It's about where I feel comfortable and what I've decided to believe based on my experience. And may your experience be hanged. I don't think you've experienced everything that God has for you in your life, frankly. The Apostle Paul said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And I'm not sure we do that anymore. I think we're so concerned about being respectable and controlled as Christian people that we're afraid of power that might take us outside of the norm or might take, it, take us outside of our comfort zone. And as a result of that, I'll be honest, I don't want the gift of healing because if I have the gift of healing, I'm going to be weird. You know, like Catherine Kuhlman, who, you know, she had this bony finger. You know, she would point to people and, you know, people would miraculously be healed. And when you, when you have a ministry that's dynamic and powerful, you receive a lot of criticism. I mean, didn't they criticize the apostles on the day of Pentecost? I mean, the Holy Spirit was poured out and they began to speak literally in dialects they had never learned. And if you've ever been outside this country, I've been to, the, uh, you know, to, to England a, a few times and I mean, they speak English there, but you wouldn't think it was English. I mean, in London it sounds one way, you go up north uh, in, in Yorkshire and it sounds totally different. Then you get all the way up into Scotland and you won't even think it's English. I mean, the dialects are so different. So on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in dialects that were absolutely perfect. And people from different parts of places where different languages were spoken heard it in their dialect. And, and they said, how can all these people who are Galileans speak in our own dialect? That's impossible. And, and it was something that was so supernatural, they had to stop and, and take notice. And I, I don't think we're, we're going to reach the world with eloquent sermons. I don't think we're going to reach the world without the power of the Holy Spirit breaking down barriers strongholds in people's minds through words of wisdom, through words of knowledge. I don't think some people are going to get healed without a miracle of healing, without faith to step out and take the risk, supernatural faith. See, the gifts of the Spirit are to enable us to take on the challenges we face in this world, and yet the church is afraid to allow the gifts of the Spirit many times to fully function and you know, we sometimes are waiting for God to do it rather than, you know, simply the, the basic scripture in James chapter 4, verse 8 that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And there, there are times where I think the church has to press in a little harder. We need to tarry a little longer in prayer. We need to seek a little more passionately uh, the, the things of God. And so even though there was an excitement here, uh, and, and maybe a, a little bit of disorder in the church. The Apostle Paul wasn't offended by that. He, he just wanted to bring it into balance, and, and that's what he tries to do here in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 last week. He tried to address some of the ways the Spirit works, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of faith, healing, 
miracles, tongues, and interpretation of tongues, just different ways, different gifts that all of us can receive at different times to help forward uh, the ministry of Jesus in our world. So he lists and identifies some of the gifts. In, in chapter 13, he said, now love is the key here. Okay, love is the goal. Everything needs by to be done in love. Even though I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm like a sounding long, gong and a clanging cymbal. And that was the Apostle Paul's concern is that the church, church in Corinth would be a, a, a group of people that were truly being led by love and that love would be the motive in everything they did. And then in chapter four, he, he, or chapter 14, he starts giving some guidelines in the, in the public service. And I, I want to read verse 1 through 5 again. And I just think through it out loud with you a little bit. First of all, in verse 1, he says, Follow the way of love and earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Now, he doesn't want to pour, pour cold water on the gifts. He doesn't want to quench the Spirit. But he wants to give some direction to how the Spirit is allowed to work um, in, the, in the public service. Follow the way of love and earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. His concern was that people wouldn't be confused when there were outbursts of tongues, but that especially visitors and unbelievers when they came into the service, he wanted them to hear God speaking directly to them, to their heart. And, you know, one of the things that I care about more than anything else when we gather together as a church is, is prophecy. I don't know if you know it or not, but I come, to, I come prepared to prophesy. I mean, every time we gather, I have spent time in the Word. I've prayed about it, memorized it, and I want to prophesy. I want to declare what God is saying now to the people that have come in that day. I want them to hear what God is saying to them. And I'm praying that you come with the same expectation and the same anticipation in your life, that you would uh, come with a heart's desire uh, for, for prophecy. So in verse 1, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks uh, to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. There's one of the blessings and benefits of tongues, that edification for yourself personally. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. That's Paul's heart for the church. Now that suggests that everyone may not speak in tongues, but he would certainly love to see everyone speak in tongues. But I would rather, when you gather together in your life group, small group, uh, morning Bible study in a restaurant, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is of more value. He, the word greater there really has to do not with, uh, I'm better than you, it really has to do with the value of prophecy within the public gathering. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. I, I hope that you have caught uh, in your attending Klamath Christian Center, a sense of the Lord's presence when the word is taught, that he's speaking to you. I hear that a lot from people. 
And that really encourages me because that's what a spirit of prophecy should feel like in the life of a congregation or in your a home church or your small group or in a small group Bible study that you attend. We need to be able to hear God together for strengthening and encouraging and, and, and comfort. And so our emphasis is on prophecy, not on the gift of tongues. <laughs> Uh, but that doesn't mean we don't value tongues. And that's probably one of the things that I, I want to try to help correct here this morning. I, I don't want you to think that we don't care about the gift of tongues. I, I received the gift of tongues, well, more than 40 years ago. And uh, it's been a, a wonderful gift and a wonder part of, wonderful part of my life to help me uh, seek God from my heart and from my spirit for these last more than... Uh, 40 years and so to me although Paul talks about the significance of prophecy when we gather together in these verses he also says says some important things about the gift of tongues the first one in verse 2 he says when a person speaks in tongues uh, they're speaking to God and verse 2 it says for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God so it's part of your personal communion and intimacy with the Father. Second thing he says, when you speak in tongues, nobody understands. Uh, verse two, no one understands them. Uh, they utter mysteries in the spirit. You know, I don't know why we try to understand God completely. Why our theology has to try to fit him down to our size and our level. Isn't it in 1 Corinthians chapter one where Paul says that God chose the the, the, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God chose the weak things to confound the strong. I don't think God's going to ever do it our way. I don't think we're going to ever be able to completely understand it. And, and so one of the things that happening when a person is praying with their spirit is they're uttering mysteries by the spirit, things they don't fully understand and yet are, are so powerful and so uh, significant to to God as, as we pray. Third thing he says is these, language, these languages will, will edify the, the speaker, okay? Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So there's benefit to, to you as the person who prays in tongues. And uh, the fourth thing he said, of course, tongues isn't as important as prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue unless someone interprets so the church can be edified. But then he kind of concludes here uh, in verse five, but he says, I would that everyone uh, speaks in tongue, tongues. So my goal this morning is not to make you feel pressured. I, I, I don't ever want to do that. And in my desire to not allow people to feel pressured, I sometimes diminish the significance of this gift. I'm simply pointing out here that Paul wished that everyone experienced this gift because of the benefits and the blessings. Now, I don't know what kind of experience you've had with the gift of tongues. When I first became a Christian, I was, it was between my junior and senior year in college, and I came home here to Klamath Falls, hadn't got involved in church yet, but I had a couple of aunts uh, that were part of a very conservative church here in Klamath Falls. And they heard I'd become a Christian, so they called me over for tea. And they set me down, and the first thing they said to me is, have you been baptized? Uh, apparently, in their denomination, if you hadn't been baptized and you suddenly were killed, uh, you wouldn't go to heaven. And uh, I don't know where they came up with that. The thief on, thief on the cross, of course, was never baptized. But nevertheless, that was a concern for them, and I appreciated them sharing that with me. And it was a little later that year that I ended up being baptized in water. And can I say, if you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for? 
Jesus is the one who also was baptized. He's a role model for us. And the whole idea of baptism is being set apart for God, committing your life, turning from the things of the world, and allowing yourself to have a fresh new start with Jesus. I, I encourage you to be baptized. And of course, I appreciated them sharing that with me. I was baptized. And then they turned to Acts chapter 2, and they said, now, in the early church, uh, they spoke in tongues. But you need to know they don't do that anymore. That's of the devil. And so if you go to a church where they speak in tongues, get up and walk out. So, you know, I didn't know any better. I was a young Christian. I appreciated their concern and care. Went to church uh, a little bit, but really didn't get involved. But that next year, I got involved in a small group Bible study. And one night, the subject went to tongues. And uh, some of the people there brought up the idea that tongues is not for today. Uh, they, they quoted a verse out of 1 Corinthians 13 that, uh, you know, when the perfect comes, we won't need the gifts of the Spirit, we won't need prophecy, we won't need tongues. And they said the perfect, of course, was the Bible, the Word of God. And by the way, the Bible is solid, and it is perfect and complete in what it is. But most Bible scholars would say when the perfect comes refers to the person of Jesus Christ in the second coming. And until he comes, we're going to need the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to need prophecy, and we're going to need the gifts of tongues. And, and so, uh, you know, I don't know. I was a young Christian. I didn't really care. Wasn't interested at all in arguments about the gift of tongues. Finally, uh, I was in this church uh, after my senior year uh, in Klamath Falls, attending Klamath Christian Center here. There was a man named Ray Mossholder who was doing a series of messages. I think he did a couple on marriage and he did a couple on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As he was speaking one night about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this language went through my mind. You know, I, I don't know why, but it, a light bulb came on, I guess you'd say, and I realized, I think that's, I think that's what they've been talking, I've heard them talk about a personal prayer language, I've heard them talk about tongues. I think that was it. So, you know, I just, I was sitting there, I had a couple, we weren't practicing social distancing, okay, the room was full, and I had someone on each side of me, I just kind of quietly leaned down, and I prayed in that, those few words or syllables that went through my mind, and I thought to myself, I think that's it, I think that's the gift of tongues, it was short, wasn't even a sentence, it was just a couple of ideas or thoughts or words, and so I, I said them, and I was kind of excited, and then after the service, I said them a few times driving the car. And then I got up in the morning and said them a few more times. And I just, I just began to practice that language. And, and since, you know, praying that particular night, there have been many times when I've been filled with the Spirit, not only spoken those syllables in that language, but a variety of different, you know, syllables or, or languages. I, I, I think people need to know that when it comes to the gift of tongues, the Holy Spirit isn't going to take your tongue and make you talk. And, and it kind of feels that way when you read the book of Acts. It says they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they begin speaking in tongues. And it's like the Holy Spirit just takes over and you're filled and you've lost control. And uh, that, I don't think that really is what happens. At least it didn't happen that way for me. The language was there, but I had to step out in faith and say it. And for most of the people that I have ever prayed for, uh, to receive the gift of tongues. There have been a few that received it immediately and began to speak, but for the majority, it was at a different time, maybe in a devotion time or a prayer time. One person <laughs> mentioned they were driving down the street worshiping God. To, 
I don't know, Caleb or something else, and all of a sudden they just, they wanted to be, go beyond their understanding, expressing their heart and love to God, and they just, it was there. They started praying in a language they'd never learned. There were syllables coming out of their mouth and expression of devotion and praise that was in another language. They didn't understand it, but they knew it was the Holy Spirit, and so created a lot of excitement for them. And uh, my point for you is... Uh, I'm hoping you won't be afraid of the gift. I, I hope you'll see that it's a gift that God intended to give as a benefit and as a blessing to help us pray and intercede and worship beyond our understanding. And I hope most importantly that you'll seek the gift. You know, Jesus is the one who said, ask and it'll be given, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. If you who are evil, referring to us, uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And, and, and so uh, I just want to encourage you. The Heavenly Father wants to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. I, I just want to encourage you to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I, I hope that tongues will be one of those, but I hope it doesn't stop there. For me, tongues has become kind of a beginning point, but I believe stepping out into uh, understanding God's presence in my life beyond my mind, learning how to lean into the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, I believe the gift of tongues has opened the doorway for me to hear His voice to receive a word of wisdom or to receive a word of knowledge or to be able to prophesy with the word. I, I believe that uh, is what is developed as a result of stepping out in faith to speak in tongues. And I believe tongues for many of us just becomes the launching pad or a beginning place for us to begin to grow uh, in, in the other gifts. And I'm looking at my watch and realizing I'm, uh, I'm uh, taking more of your time than I had planned. I, I wanted to talk to you about different ways uh, the Spirit uh, uses the gift of tongues in the New Testament. I'll just state them without elaborating. Uh, we see tongues in the New Testament as a sign to unbelievers. Uh, we, we see it as a, a public a gift when tongues is used together with interpretation uh, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about tongues as a personal prayer language. He talks about no one understanding it. And he talks about the person who uses the gift being edified. And I think in most cases, most of us will receive the gift of tongues uh, for personal prayer and, and personal edification. The last way that I see the gift of tongues in the New Testament is for intercession, and I've seen it in my own life as well when I'm praying. There are times when there's all of a sudden, literally, the, the, the dialect, the language that I'm praying, it changes. And there's something powerful happening, something prophetic happening that happens with a, with a sense of warfare. And the Apostle Paul talks about it in Ephesians 6. Uh, I think all of us know that there's a reference there to our battle is not against flesh and blood, but with the principalities and powers. And he goes through a list of different armor that God has given us, a helmet of uh, salvation, a sword of the Spirit, and a shield of faith, and a breastplate of righteousness, and feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So he, he, he gives this picture of uh, armor standing against the devil's schemes. And then he concludes in verse 18 by saying, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and, 
I think Paul's understanding of this gift, he understood the significance in spiritual warfare and, and spiritual intercession. And I believe that uh, it's one of the, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us to intercede for our loved one, for a son or a daughter who we're really concerned about. We, we, we see them making decisions that maybe we know are gonna result in real harm for them or for their loved ones or their family. And we, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to pray. But Jesus, in your strong name, and we begin to pray in our prayer language. And I believe it opens the door for an intercession that is, that's tr- truly powerful. I'm, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up because I know that I've uh, gone over my time uh, here this morning. Um... I'd love for you to email me if you want to set up an appointment. I'd love to talk about the gift if you're interested in receiving the gift. Maybe you've prayed before but, but haven't received the gift or maybe you're still there with questions. Um, I, I don't want you to think that all of a sudden the gift of tongues is a requirement for you to be a part of this church uh, or something like that. That's not the point. But, but, but it certainly is a gift, I think, to be valued certainly a part of our walk with the Lord, and I want to invite you to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and hopefully one of those will be the gift of tongues. So I'm going to close in prayer here and give us a chance just to worship for a moment before we go. So Heavenly Father, I'll be the first one to say I don't understand why you chose tongues as a gift from the Spirit, except for the idea that Lord, you've called me into an intimate relationship with you that's deeper than my mind. It goes deep beneath my soul. It's rooted deep in my spirit. And there's something about this gift that allows my spirit in full humility and transparency to lean on you, to press into you, and to look to you in my life. Lord, it allows me to pray things that I don't understand, and I believe it's influencing my destiny. I believe it's influencing the destiny of my children, and I believe it's influenced the destiny of this church. Lord, I believe part of the blessing in this place is in response to the prayers of the Holy Spirit through my life and through the lives of others with a gift of tongues. Jesus, so I thank you for the, for the gift, and I, and I pray that it would not be lost in this generation. Lord, I pray that we'd not be so comfortable in our, my, our minds, so concerned about being controlled. Lord, that we would be so intellectual that we'd think beyond this. Lord, I pray that it would be not lost in this generation, but then in this generation, we'd fan into flame the gift of God. Lord, that we'd allow all the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, that we'd seek first the kingdom. That we'd long for earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. Words of wisdom. Words of knowledge. Lord, words, gifts of miracles. Gifts of healing. Gifts of faith. Gifts of prophecy. Lord, and gifts of tongues. So thank you for that this morning. Thanks for helping us grow in you. Grow in all these gifts. We thank you for hearing our prayers this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank